Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with a brilliant Kim Elphiston, founder of Australia's leading cultural agency, Articulate. Tune in as we chat about the difference between art and design, public art as placemaking, and how a journey on a London tube she had in the early 2000s changed her life forever. Hey Kim, how you doing? Welcome to Design Your Life. Thanks Vince, so lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's really cool. Um, you came in the other day to our studio and did a talk to the whole team at, at breakfast and that was really, really cool to hear about you and your organization and what you do. Um, and everyone felt incredibly inspired by that. So thank you for that. And we're back in the studio in Sydney as well in our podcast room, which we discussed earlier is a little bit messy, but we'll <laughs> tidy up or you're keen to tidy it up for me, which uh, I hope you do afterwards. You're the founder of Articulate, Australia's leading communications consultancy for the arts. And for people listening in, can you tell a bit about the business and, and what you do? Yes, absolutely. Um, so Articulate is a company which I founded with a view to amplifying the voices of artists. Um, and really it's, it's driven out of a love for the arts. Um, we say that we specialise in the visual arts and contemporary culture. And within that really sits architecture and design as well. Um, and it, we work with organisations, often museums, galleries, festivals, governments, private foundations, um, to spread the word about the amazing work that artists and creatives are doing. Wow, it's incredible. But before that, you studied law, I understand. I am. I, I am a reformed lawyer. Um, I actually love studying law. The study of law was, um, I found it really, really interesting. But once I got into the practice of it, I personally thought there was zero creativity in it. Um, and it, I felt stifled. And I'd always loved the arts. So there was a very long and windy, zigzaggy path to getting to having my own business in the arts. Um, but super great to have the background in law, I think in any business that you're running, um, yeah. to have that understanding is, is fantastic. Yeah. Totally, and, and it's interesting, um, Craig from Raconteur was on the podcast a little while ago and we've done a candle with him and he's a reformed, he used that same term, reformed <laughs> lawyer. So that's quite- It's something we say. <laughs> yeah, but I think he was in it for a lot longer yes, before absolutely. he could escape. Yeah. And, it, and it's, I guess it's like, is it kind of like left brain, right brain, kind of worlds or like it's, a it's a little bit that way I think law gives you this amazing way of looking at the world it mm -hmm. forces you to compartmentalize and strategize and really think things building blocks in a very strategic um, straightforward linear way whereas I see the arts as being the opposite of that entirely your creativity is is not is not a, a linear process so um, coming out of law and coming into the arts I actually had to really un reconceptualize how I thought and how I wrote and how I communicated because it's an entirely different style. Mm. And as a kid, were you always interested in art? Loved the arts, yeah, absolutely. Um, at high school, my favorite um, teacher was my high school art teacher, John Honeywell, who's an amazing artist in his own right. Um, and you know, I did all the, all the official 
subjects that you meant to do, the, the maths and the science and English. And um, I just wasn't really presented with art as being a viable career for mm, me at yeah. that time. Um, it was something that you did for fun. Um, and, you know, I, I spent some some years in my 20s really um, battling with that idea because I really did want to move into the arts and I got a lot of advice that I would never be successful in that, I would never make any money. Um, so um, it's it's been great to kind of overcome that and prove that the arts is, a, is an incredible place to, to make a career. And it's interesting, I, probably opposite, I, I was, I think all of us as kids are born creative. I mean, as Absolutely. born at this world, being able to make a mess and exploring and trying stuff and making patterns and stuff like that. And school tends to kind of bash that out of you. And um, I was really bad at academic side of things. I don't know, maybe it's because the number of times I moved and stuff and I was just really not focused on. I struggled with it, to be honest. But it's interesting because you, you I, I'm lucky I kind of, I guess, found design. It's not art, I know. We'll maybe discuss that later, mm -hmm. the definition between art and design or the difference. And... Um, yeah, I kind of feel it's interesting when someone who's is obviously you must have been good at academia. Um, that's probably not even how you say it. See, I'm that bad. Academics, same, yeah. same. Um, <laughs> um, and to to kind of find your way through that, I think that's just really, really cool. That shift, quite a significant shift, which often people are nervous about making that shift in their lives. They get they get into a they've invested in a a learning or a career. Um, and then they get into a job and responsibilities and stuff, and then shifting, people often feel dissatisfied with that, but they often don't shift into, fuck, I need to redesign my life, or I need to do something completely different. 100%. What was that pivotal moment when you had you just had enough? I had exactly that experience, Vince. Um, I was very much stuck in the root of, you know, becoming a lawyer, and um, I did commerce law, actually, so it was sort of that field as well um, and it's a very um, fast and hard train to get off um, and for me it took moving to the other side of the world so the, the day after I was admitted as a solicitor I actually got on a plane moved to London and lived there for four and a half years afterwards. I did work in law firms for a bit of that but I used that as the period to transition into things that actually yeah. lit me up so London early 2000s amazing time um, creatively oh, it's always yeah. an amazing time creatively in London but Working in advertising agencies and studying at museums and galleries and all the institutions over there was my way out. Amazing. And what, what made you then come back? Uh, the weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cliche. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but um, no, I think it was time to come home. I, um, I almost stayed indefinitely, but it was, it was literally just getting on the tube one morning on a cold, grey December morning and I decided it's time to go back. And then I interviewed for roles um, and it was Sydney or Melbourne were on the cards, ended up in Sydney, loved it here, but still couldn't get a job in the arts. Um, so I ended up working in comms and professional services, um, PR back in Australia, in Sydney for a while. And then just started having coffees with people and knocking on doors and meeting person after person until eventually I got a job at the MCA. Wow. Which is my first big um, position, but first break essentially into the art world. Is that after Sam Marshall redesigned the, the building? Before, before, oh, before. I was there for all of that, which oh, was wow. amazing. So the whole um, the fundraising campaign to do the new building, working with Sam Marshall, um, I left just before it officially launched to public, but was there for the whole build up for it, which was amazing. Wow. That's exciting. So, yeah, Liz Ann McGregor was my first boss in the arts. It was amazing to work yeah. with her. She's awesome. I don't know where, where's she gone now? 
Uh, she's retired. Uh, she okay. was spending a bit of time in Scotland for okay. a while there. All right. Um, what uh, interesting? So there's there was early two thousands. It's interesting. You would have come back and seen the massive difference between London, Europe, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the, the breadth of art and galleries, et cetera, and that whole culture side of things. Coming back, I, I felt that when I moved here in 2003. Yeah. Um, it, but it's changed significantly, and I guess you're contributing to that change, uh, you know, as you, did, as you said, working at the MCA. And you've also worked on with National Gallery of Australia, the Paris Museum, et cetera. Um, Bandanoon, that's how you say it? Bandanon. Bandanon. <laughs> I know, there's one less O there. I want it to be Bandanon. There is a Bandanoon. It's just is not, there? It's just not, an, it's just it's just not, not an, that one. It's, it's a town. <laughs> it doesn't have an art museum. Okay, all right, let's talk yeah. about that. Let's talk about the projects that you've, how you see Sydney or Australia change for the better, I hope it has. Absolutely. I think, it has. I think it's changed enormously. Even um, so, in the last sort of 15 years, when I first got back from London, um, it was really hard to get mass market public interest in art projects like getting we used to joke about getting art on the front page was if we could get sport off the front page in Sydney then that was a huge win and it was always an impossible task Um, and it was sort of I also think art's been democratized to a sense since then Um, initially it was viewed as something that the rich collected Mm. it was you know one of those things you did and uh, something you acquired as a badge of wealth Mm -hmm. Um, and I think partially through all the great work a lot of the institutions did and the foundations in Australia, it's now something that the general public engages with and I think everyone feels that they have the right to have a viewpoint on art and know what they like and know what they don't. Um, And I think that was accelerated through COVID as well just because of all the time we spent on screens and trying to get some culture through that. So, um, And and now I think it's, it's kind of an accepted and loved, I'd say, part of our society in Australia much more than it was sort of 15 to 20 years ago. And can you talk about the Bandanon Art Museum? Art yes. Museum yeah, absolutely. And your involvement? Um, so we've been working with Bandanon for about a decade. Um, it uh, was originally Arthur Boyd's homestead and he gifted it to the Australian government um, before he died. Um, so it's an incredible site, huge property down in the Shoalhaven region in um, um, southern New South Wales and um, there was it's always been artist residencies and you could go and stay there um, students stay there and, and spend time amongst the incredible landscape there um, but during our time and um, Bundanon undertook a big campaign to do a master plan and, and re, um, re, reinvigorate the site so that included building an art museum um, and also a bridge for creative learning, which they worked with Kirsten Thompson Architects to build this mm. incredible bridge, which is you can go and stay in there now. Um, and Arthur Boyd's homestead and his original studio where he used to paint is all there as well. Wow. So it's, it's an incredible art space. And, um, yeah, we've been really lucky to be part of that journey and launching it and communicating it for the last 10 years. And how do people, because that's, that's a long-term project. Yeah. Um, and just now, I guess recently people started, it's been launched and people have been talking about it a lot. How do you choose the projects you work on? Because obviously, when you see a project like that, with the the type of people that are involved in it, you know it's going to be something really amazing. But art sometimes is, is, and creativity is kind of unknown or risky or uncertain. Mm -hmm. How how do you decipher which is going to be a good project to be, be, or do you say yes to everything like I do? We don't say yes to everything. I would say, (laughs) (laughs) I would say one of the, one of, one of the, the best things we've done at Articulate over the years is being really careful about what we do say yes to. And obviously that took some guts early on when you're starting out and you don't have many clients, but um, we were lucky enough to have the Biennale of Sydney 
as I say we, it was just me on my lounge room floor at that point, but um, as a first client. And then just being really careful about only working with clients where we felt we believed in them, we felt that they were rigorous, that they were doing great stuff. And it always comes down to the humans, right? It's, it's, it's who is involved in that mm. project. Um, and can you, do you believe in their vision? Mm. Um, and that's, and you know, there's a bit of a leap of faith with everything, um, particularly longer term projects. But if you, if you believe in what they're trying to achieve, then you're happy to align your brand and go on board and, and work with them on it. How do you help people kind of, I guess, appreciate, understand art? Because I, I must admit, I, I, even as a creative person, I've been doing it a long time. I sometimes I just go, well, that's a load of, I could have done that. Or, you know, totally. Damien Hurst is a great example. I think, <laughs> you know, like I could do circles. Um, I know it's, I know I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but I had, how do you know who is the right artist to be involved in a project? And I don't know, presumably you get involved in the briefing of that artist. Yeah. There's a certain amount of guys openness to it, like they can do whatever they feel is appropriate, perhaps. And probably, I don't know how, how much you kind of guide that, guide that process. I think with, um, when assessing art and artists, I always look for, um, does the artist have an original and authentic voice? Um, and do they have something to say that is um, that interests you? You know, and th- for me, great art changes your perspective on the world. Yeah. So it's that moment when someone does a project in, or an artist, there's an artwork or an art project in you. It, it actually makes you stop in your tracks and go, "Wow, that's that's really cool." Whether it's just a visual, visceral reaction, or because of the concepts behind the art are really amazing and and and, sh- and shift your your thinking somehow. Um, so if you are not in the art world and you're trying to work out what's, what's good and what's not, I mean, the best cheat is really to read the words or follow people who do know things, you know, follow some great curators, read, read good publications. Um, but I also think going to places where there's mass art on show. So if you go to say the Biennale of Sydney, for instance, and it's, there's hundreds of artists from all around the world in one spot and you can go around and sort of immerse yourself in that. Um, something like a great art fair um, as well when there's thousands of artworks on show. Like Sydney Contemporary? Sydney Contemporary, um, Melbourne Art that? Fair. Yeah, absolutely. Sydney Contemporary, we launched their, that in Sydney in 2013 and still working with it today. It's coming up this September. Um, yeah, it's a great way just to, yeah. to have, literally be immersed in it and walk around and by immersion you get to understand and you'll get your own viewpoint on what you think is cool and what you what you don't like. Yeah. I mean, I'm Dion, Dion and I went to it last year and I was just a Did you so love last it? Year before. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I'd never been good. to it before. I don't know why. I just somehow missed that. Well it's it had two years of, of COVID okay, um, of being why. online. So but <laughs> last year it was back better than ever and Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible experience. It's only really a four day event at Carriage Works and um, everyone flies in for it and brings their best. And uh, so when is it on? September. Uh, this year it's the seventh to the eleventh of September. Okay, I'll definitely go to that. Um a lot of people walking around with their hands behind their back. You know how you that art <laughs> gallery walk, uh, which I adapted quite quickly. You can cross the arms. Oh, can well. you? Yeah. Oh. There's, there's a number. Or, or the, the sort of the pensive <laughs> finger under the chin. <laughs> um, uh, how do you how do you know if and or when you are have the capability to be an artist? Like I, I mean, I think people make stuff all the time. My dad paints prolifically. He makes a couple a day in this garage in in Sussex. He's done hundreds of them. And I, I, you know, that's, he's doing it for himself. He's doing it for his own personal need. It helps with his, his mental health uh, and his well-being. He loves doing it. It gives him kind of time away from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, she's lovely. 
Um, but but do you know what I mean? Like it's like how does one be a like playing at it or I mean I, I, I guess I still struggle with kind of the difference between art and designs. Can you yeah. help me with yeah. that? Look, I think um, the desire to create is something that's in everyone. Um, it's obviously more um, more forward facing in some people, um, but. I think the question there, you know, in terms of who's an artist, it's it's really your intent at the end of the day. So it, anyone can be an artist mm-hmm. if they want to, but um, there's a difference between practicing in your garage and doing that for joy. That's still creating art. Mm-hmm. Being an artist, in to a certain extent, is having an artistic practice, which means you are doing it as a profession, so yeah. to speak. So that's there's a bit of a divide there on maybe doing it for yourself and for for joy. Um, or um, developing a professional practice as an artist. Mm. Um, and on, on the point of design and art, um, look, it's, again, it's about the intent. From, from my mind, I feel that the difference is that often with design, um, you will be given more parameters to work with. Yeah. So design often a has brief. a brief yeah. and, you know, this is what you're working with and maybe there's a challenge to over, overcome. Whereas an artist, they might develop their own brief in their head and their own parameters, but ultimately... It's a, it's a blank canvas, literally, from the start. So um, they need to go out and source their their challenge, their their point of interest, their materials. It's slightly different in that sense. Mm. But obviously the two fields really intersect quite a lot. Who are your favourite artists in, um, um, in the world and in, in the Australia? World of, of, of the, um, the older ones, I would say um, Cy Twombly, uh, Mark Rothko, uh, all of the Forvists. I love, you know, Matisse and... Um, the colour that it was uh, and texture of some of the, that era. But today, um, there's so many. Um, I love um, Oliver Wagner, Tia Ansel, Johnny Nietzsche, um, Jonathan Jones. Um, I'm just thinking about all the ones floating around my house. Oh, <laughs> no, no, nice. no, no, these are not. Oh, not they're all not. Of them. Some they're of them not. Are. Sarah wow. Smuts Kennedy. We've got good security. Uh, oh, Nancy Constadelia, amazing um, new artist, Sabel Cox. So, yeah, that, that's a great thing. There's so many great artists coming up and, yeah. and through, and I really try and um, and um, support the emerging artists. Yeah, wow. Uh, it's also easier to do that from a budgetary perspective. Yeah. I used to have an accountant um, that used to have, he's going to phenomenal, he used to be an accountant for the art, for artists, and they used to pay him with paintings. Oh, amazing. And he's got this phenomenal, what a dream. phenomenal collection. So what, what role does, does art play in developing Australia's culture? Um, I think it's a really important one because um, art is really a lens through which we can take a look back at ourselves as a culture, as a, as a, as a country. Um, and it's also when things are a little bit contentious, when there are you know, um, emotional touch points in a, in a culture when things are going on, I find that art is a, a way that we can communicate and almost try and understand somebody's competing viewpoint um, artists are always tackling with the issues of our times. They always have been. Um, and I think it's a really important part of what we do. It's a sort of, as, as artists and artists have evolved in Australia, Australia has evolved as a society as well. They sort of go hand in hand. I understand you worked with Chris Fox on his fantastic interloop project, which hangs in the ceiling above the main escalators at Wynyard Station in Sydney. Why is public art so important and what kind of effect does it have on people that interact with it? Public art's amazing because um, it's part of our built environment. You know, it's 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 um, it will affect everyone that goes past it. It's not something that you seek out as an artistic experience, um, and therefore the audience is huge for it. 
Um, and I really feel that um, a great piece of public art can um, bring you great joy. It can make you think differently. So with Interloop, for instance, um, Chris's work uh, took the old heritage escalators that were being torn down mm. underneath Wynyard and then repurposed them into this incredible sculpture that you have to go under as you go up the escalators every day. And so it's a way of, of celebrating the history of that site uh, but in a really contemporary way and uh, almost uh, um, commemorating what has been there um, and celebrating what um, his artistic vision was for that. That's super cool. I know Woods Baggett with the architecture firm uh, behind that. It's really cool being a city, and often people don't think about this, in a city that is actually getting better. It's changing. Absolutely it's, it's improving. Like better. Central Station just uh, has been redone, and there's so many cool projects key quarter down at circular key which we worked on is just phenomenal there's some so many positive additions to the city the city is almost like uh cleaning itself out and having a having a, a vision and being far more modern forward thinking but also uh energizing in a lot of ways i guess the chris fox's piece of work is more than an artwork it's also placemaking so like helps people you know whether people realize it or not helps people know where they are or mm. remember how to, how to navigate themselves uh, around the city, for example. I think Absolutely. that's really important. And what a cool way to be able to think about getting around a city if you're yeah. you know, using artworks as touch points for a little intersected map. New York is great for that too, right? Yeah. The, the big love. The icons. Yeah, yeah. the Milton Glaser. Is it, I think Milton Glaser's massive love yes. sculpture in the street there. I don't, I don't even remember what street it is. But whenever Outside I see Christie's. it, yeah. oh, it's no, spectacular it's, yeah. and, and been around a while. So, hey Kim, what other cities in the world are doing great public arts? Um, look, a lot of the major cities are doing amazing stuff. Something that springs to mind straight away is London, um, obviously an incredible culture for the arts there, but particularly the Fourth Plinth project in mm. Trafalgar Square, which yeah. has been going for many years. Um, it's a way, you know, millions of people pass through that square every day. So it's a way of bringing public art into the the, um, the environment. But And I think it's it's really created a brand now that people are – um, anticipating and excited to see which artists will present the fourth plinth project, which is a sculpture they put on one of the empty plinths there. Yeah, it was really cool. I, I can't remember. I was living in England when they started that program, but I think it was a plinth that was just standing there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there's some plinths that have the big sculptures yeah. of you know heroes gone past, yeah, and yeah. Uh, then and there stuff. was one that was empty. So that was the that was a clever concept. Is let's really let's clever. commission an artist to do something every year to fill the empty plinth. And it's really cool to see how that changes every year. It's nice, yeah. a nice surprise, and it's kind of cool. It's a bit like uh, Serpentine Gallery. He used to be a client of mine when when we were in London and um, did all their kind of um, brochures and books and things like that. Um, but they did the Serpentine Gallery uh, pavilion yeah, every amazing. year. We went to it this year, actually. It was, it was fantastic. It was every year it's a different pavilion. Yeah, that's that a really clever concept. So and a clever. different architect would do it, yeah, design yeah. it each yeah, year, exactly. and everyone anticipates it's in the summer. and Yeah, yeah really exactly. cool. So the changing... The changing, changing landscape is really cool too, yeah. as opposed to art that's just permanently there forever. Yeah. I love a public art project that has a set period of time. Like Caldor Public Art Projects, they'll go for a month or six weeks and they come in. It's, it's like a little intervention in the public space and then it's gone. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really effective way of doing public art. Super cool. What about um, Aboriginal art? Do you get involved in... Absolutely. And we've been, we've been um, very, very lucky to work across um, a wide range of Indigenous projects in Australia and, and internationally. But um, uh, from um, 
major exhibitions at the institutions and also um, something that springs to mind is the Jonathan Jones Public Artworks. Um, so Jonathan Jones is an Indigenous artist who's worked with many institutions but he did an incredible project in Sydney's Botanical Gardens with Cowdell Public Art Projects mm-hmm. um, and he did another installation at the Hyde Park Barracks where he took over the entire building and created in the, in the gravel around that museum the shape of emu's feet sort of walking around that you um, would view it from a drone from above um, also bringing in the history so then bringing together our contemporary culture as well with the um, indigenous histories interweaving those together well that's super cool the landscape of PR and communications has dramatically changed uh, over the last 10 years social media has changed us how we communicate dramatically and access to new stories live all the time 24 7 as we know how can brands break through the noise in today's world and how do you know if your PR strategy is working? I think it's all about authenticity at the moment. It always has been, but even more so now because there's multiple channels that you have to communicate through. So um, to be successful, um, it, yeah, you get called out really quickly if you're not authentic and true to who you are. So that means deciding and, and being very clear about what your brand's mission is, what you care about, and then communicating that in a you know, I'm going to say an unshowy way, um, you know, communicating it through through your actions as much as through your words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, it's all in terms of if, is your PR strategy working, um, that is about engagement. So if it's working, then you're going to find the people that you want to engage with and they're going to want to collaborate with you, work with you, listen to you. You're going to grow your audience off the back of, of having a strong um, strategy. Is it harder to stand out today? I mean, before... I mean, I'm old enough before there was the internet um, mm-hmm. and there was just publications or exhibitions and things. There was like, you'd have to buy a magazine or a book uh, to search, you know, for artists or designers yeah. or whatever. Now it's just like, it's I, don't, I don't know who's doing what anymore. And, and it's just, if it's barrier. real even. Totally. I think there's a lower barrier to entry now. Um, so that's the bonus is that anyone can really get in there and, and start promoting themselves. Um, but co- what comes with that is that we're all overwhelmed with information, of course. So, uh, but I really believe is, you know, you need to find out who your niche audiences are, work out who you are and then build slowly. Don't, don't, ex- don't go mass. Don't just try and scattergun approach. So it's all about having a targeted strategy. And what about, about originality? How do we know when we're original, when we have so much inspiration or so much visual uh, images bombarded? Into our, in, into, our, into our mind, even though even if we don't even know it's happening, we're consuming totally. uh, stuff. So it's, har- I mean, it's kind of harder to be original, I would have thought. To a degree. I mean, the whole idea of being influenced in your creative endeavours has been around since the first, first you know, start of time. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just accelerated. And um, I think you still can be original, but, you know, as we go further along in human history, it's going to be much more... Um, mashing up of different um, multiple influences because yeah, there's less true originality, but it's still out there. I think when something is truly original now, it really stands out. Um, do you want to talk about the other business you have too, the, the Golden Mean? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, that was we talked about how much the media environment had changed. Um, and that was really launched in response to what was happening in the media with the, um, a lot of axes going on and cuts in resourcing um, uh, with the big media houses. We launched a company called The Golden Mean, which um, is designed to create uh, compelling content exclusively for the arts. So that's written word, it's visual images and video content. 
Um, and then we weave that into our campaigns um, to uh, for, for our PR agency through Articulate. Um, and that's been really cool. We've done some great stuff for a lot of the organisations um, over the years. AI is like going crazy. Mm. Um, and, you know, I have mixed thoughts about that and slightly nervous, probably more nervous than a lot of people I talk to. But it, it the thing that makes me concerned is, you know, obviously it's getting stronger and more capable at doing a lot of what we do mm -hmm. as human beings um, with a view that it's helping us to do it better, easier, and more efficiently. But actually, it's, it's gaining momentum. I think it's learning a hell of a lot. And I guess what I want to talk about is around art that's been developed by AI in a second, a millisecond, mm. and also uh, one's personal IP and how enable the AI is scouring the internet to find reference and combining it or whatever it's doing. I don't know what it's doing. But it, but it's kind of creating new imagery, but it's utilizing existing, existing imagery, imagery, which belongs to other people. So how, how do you think that that's going to end up? Because I just, I don't know. Such an interesting one. You know, I think, you know, we are all in this big melting pot now. Um, and to a degree, it's harder to protect your IP in, in this current day. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I'm a little bit more positive on AI. I, I think that it ideally will take away the tasks that um, we don't need to be doing and we can focus more on being truly creative. I, I think emotional intelligence is, is the number one thing moving forward for um, to, to refine and to practice in business because that's the, really the last, last piece that AI can't replicate in the way that humans can do. So... Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, it's like the Industrial Revolution. Everyone was terrified at that point. And then, you know, it's, it's just we're going through that stage of getting to the next point. And we'll have to refine what we work on moving forward. Mm. What projects are you working on now that you're excited about or you can talk about? Um, we're working on lots of fun stuff. Um, Powerhouse Museum, uh, really exciting times uh, for that. The new Parramatta, um, Powerhouse Parramatta is being built as we speak. Um, that will be a phenomenal new institution to really rethink the way museums, um, what, what a museum is globally, um, led by Lisa Havilar. Um, and we're working on um, a number of projects in um, uh, all over the country, um, actually. So some uh, a new festival launching next month in Melbourne called Now or Never Festival, which is a mix of sound, ideas, innovation and art. Um, so it's everything from food experiences to light um, presentations to experimental music. Um, That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit of festivals, a bit of uh, museum work. We're always doing the Carriage Works program. Um, yeah, lots and lots and lots of things going on. You've also joined the board of directors at First Draft earlier this year a platform for emerging art and experimental practice. Can you tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I love First Draft. I'm very, very um, honoured to be on their board. So um, it's Australia's oldest-led artist, sorry, Australia's oldest artist-led organisation, which really means um, it's, it's a gallery space. It's in Woolloomooloo in Sydney. It provides, if you're an emerging artist um, or a practitioner, then you might get your first exhibition there. It's, it provides the platform for you to, to make that jump from art school into having your first show, which then gets you seen by curators, people in the art world. You can obviously put that on your CV um, and helps you then move to the next stage of your career. So it supports artists, it supports writers um, and curators. Um, and they've got their uh, annual first draft auction coming up as well this uh next week oh wow cool down at Woolloomooloo yeah 
Is yeah. that op- opposite Harry's hot dog stand? Not quite there. <laughs> a bit further back. I kind of frequent back. that place uh, <laughs> occasionally. Speaking of icons, yeah. Yeah. How good? Oh, no, maybe you don't. I did, I did. I you haven't did. been there for many years. It used to be on the walk home from the MCA for me. What was your favourite, hot dog or pie? Or? I like the peas. Oh, the peas on the pie. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I find the buns too thick now. I find them really, they fantastic. Had the buns. Oh, didn't you? Okay, all right. What else do you get up to outside of work? I know you have a, a family. I do. I have a, a husband and a little boy who's eight. Um... I, I love to travel. We all love to travel. Uh, I love to spend time in the mountains. We just got back from a couple of weeks there. Um, I love yoga. Yoga is my calm amongst the, all the, the craziness. So um, yoga and hiking. And um, I love books. I love to get home and sort of just put myself in a cocoon and close out the world. Um, I'm a sort of recovering introvert. So oh, I like really? that. Like, yeah. I, you know, wow. so our job is so out there and um, very much on, uh, you know, you're always on and engaging with people. But I'm, uh, yeah, I love to recharge at home. And, you know, tragically, I like to go to galleries, even, even in my downtime. Um, oh, I just cool. love the arts. So, you know, going around and seeing what new artists are doing is incredibly inspiring to me yeah what inspires you what, when you see a new artist that you've never come across before what, what is it that connects you with them I just love that moment when you see a work and you sort of stopped in your tracks and go wow I love that and then you actually try and work out why you love it yeah because it's different every time and for me you know some of it might be um, visceral it might be literally you know how it looks or the texture or the color and sometimes it's the concept and you think oh, that's a really cool way that that artist has approached that and they make me think differently um, but, it, you know, it's different every time. Um, I love um, intimate small-scale works as much as going and seeing something on Cockatoo Island that's in the turbine hall that's, you know, hundreds of metres long yeah. and is, you know, impressive of, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but just the diversity of it and the way that also every artist draws upon their individual life journey. You know, every, everyone's different. Everyone's got different cultural influences, things that have happened to them, things they're interested in. Um, and really, I, th- I think the works they are creating are the result of all their lived experience, um, which is incredibly cool. And is this about you spotting potential that others might not see? Or do you just you see that and go, oh, that's cool. That's new. I could do something with that. Like expand on that. Look, I think it's very personal. I think, you know, everyone everyone has, you know, what I like and what you like could be totally different. And sometimes we'll cross over and, and you know, when, when multiple people are crossing over on loving an artist, that's probably when they do really well. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I love to work in that emerging space and really find, um, try and find which artists are exciting now. That's what's great about the arts. There's always someone new coming through. And even mid-career and established artists are always evolving. How do you know when, because I guess in jo- your job in terms of communicating and PRing artists, mm-hmm. etc., how do you know, y- you just said it's very personal, but mm. what you feel, how do you know that that's going to resonate with, with others? Well, we, we've come to have an understanding of what the media like as okay. well. Um, right. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time getting to know some amazing journalists um, and media outlets over the last uh, sort of 14 years. So... We um, probably pride ourselves in understanding exactly what to pick out of a particular project in order to engage with different journalists, and that's part of what part of what we do. Um, but yeah, so in, in that essence, it's really pairing people, individuals up with individuals. What about who commissions you? Is it is it is it architects? Is it developers? Is it 
Who's the one that's kind of everyone. in charge of that? Um, often it's uh, so museum directors. So when we're doing work with big museums, uh, festival directors. So when there's a new festival, um, a lot of time that might be government. So for instance, we work with the City of Sydney and Create New South Wales um, when we were launching Walsh Bay Arts Precinct. Um, uh, individual gallerists. We've worked with Anna Schwartz for many years and she runs her own eponymous gallery in, in Melbourne, of course. Um, we have worked with developers and architects. Um, so Chris Fox, we mentioned before, um, we've worked with a number of, um, we worked on Barangaroo, uh, for their public art, um, and still going on that, on their various oh, cool. public art installations. With so Lend-Lease. that's With Lendlease, yes. Yeah. Lendlease Art Panel and, uh, continue to launch their various, um, artworks down at Barangaroo. So that's really about placemaking as well. And I think there's a role that we play in that conversation, um, around, you know, how, how art essentially then is speaking to the history, particularly in, in Barangaroo, for instance, the history of that site and making mm. it relevant and telling the story of that history to everyone that passes through there, you know, thousands of people every day. Yeah, superb place. I mean, I love walking around there now. It's just become so... It's interesting, isn't it? You can walk from, from the Opera House all the way through. Yeah, I love that. The mound when you, when you cut through. Beautiful. And, you know, there was nothing there. And ah. it's, they've created such a um, dynamic community down yeah, there. Yeah, a lot of controversy around the whole development, but it kind of, I think it's... Yeah, and really still ongoing. There's, we, haven't, we haven't got the final piece in the puzzle yet. Now you said you're a recovering lawyer, recovering introvert. What other things are you recovering? recovering. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I what else am I recovering for? Um, you don't have to o- OCD. Me. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. Um, a little bit. A little well, bit of that. Just talk about an in, being an introvert because mm. I, are you, are you, cause I definitely was incredibly painfully shy as a kid mm-hmm. and very introverted. I still feel really uncomfortable at times. So maybe I'm recovering as well or not mm. recovering. I'm just kind of a little, got it a little bit better, working it out a bit. But I think that a lot of people listening in, especially creative people, are sometimes or more often not introverted. Mm. And that makes them good at thinking and observing, listening. Yeah. Uh, I kind of felt bad as being an introvert. I felt really bad mm. as being the quiet one in the room when I was a kid. Because mm. people, I was always like, well, how come these people are so confident and, and can talk all the time about nothing? Or they're funny or they they deal with life in a confident way. I, I, I kind of felt that, kind of felt like I was living outside of the world, yeah. if you know what I mean. I, know I it think sounds society dramatic. paints it that way. Yeah. I think society makes the extroverts the heroes and the yeah. introverts are the some, somehow less. Um, but I disagree, and there's some great books on this. Um, but I think w- exactly what you said. As an introvert, you, hen- you tend to hang back. You don't dive in first. You might hang back and you assess and you, you listen and really assess what's going on. And um, I think a lot of creative people are sensitive and introverted by nature. Um, but I, th- uh, you know, it's something, it's a learned skill. <clears throat> I definitely was an introvert and just through years of having to communicate with people, you get, you get a bit more confident. Mm. Um, but you, I'm walking into a huge room, huge crowded party. You still give me sort of the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I find that really interesting and you're totally right. I feel like, um, being an introvert or quieter. I think there's a book called Quiet, which is beautiful. Mm. I read that. Um, that kind of being kind of absorb, observing <laughs> observing, um, and feeling and being sensitive. I, I was told by, oh, my God, you're so sensitive. And, like, that was, again, another negative thing. And that feelings weren't important or not the right things to judge how you feel or mm. how you navigate the world. And I just feel like now, more I know, that 
I just think, wow, that's actually, it's something that we all have, mm. and it's actually incredibly powerful when you listen, when you feel, yeah. when, when you're sensitive to change or see patterns or moods or whatever it might be. I think that's such an incredible thing. I couldn't thing. agree more. I think you know everything is feeling. Um, it's that gut instinct that people talk about. Um, and you know, going back to AI, that's what we have. Yeah. That's that's unique to, to human beings, and I think it's, um, and you know, everyone's feelings are also unique. Otherwise, you know, yeah. it's just all process. So art engages the senses. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And the more I see, the more I I still don't get it at times. I just don't feel you like you don't get what the. I don't see. Sometimes I kind of question whether, like that number eight on the wall there mm. that we did with mud, mm. is that that could be a sculpture. Yes, it could. But it's not. It's but a it's commercial. It's about the intent. It's about the intent. You created that for a commercial outcome with a specific brief. Yeah. So, you know, if you'd sat down and said, I'm going to work with some porcelain and I'm going to look at these this colour color palette and just create some, some objects here and feel my way out there. And then also if you intended to present that as art then that would make it yeah. not a commercial project. We talked about this the other day. We had a coffee um, at uh, Neil Perry's Cafe, a restaurant. Mm. And um, we're talking about that. Like, how could I shift into art? And I kind of talk about if I was an artist and I had a blank piece of paper, mm. I'd be, I'd be, I'd drown. I'd, I'd just find, when, in the past when clients say to me, you know, hey, you could just, would love you to do something for us. You can do whatever you want. It's like, that's the worst thing possibly happen terrifying brief yeah yeah so like you said a lot of artists kind of create the parameters or create the brief but i, I struggle with that because it's kind of it's self imposed i quite like the fact that someone comes hey vince or hey frost collective mm. we have this issue that we need to solve we need this there's a timeline there's a budget this is what we need to do this is what we need to achieve with it it makes it so much we don't have to think about that mm. we need to focus on achieving that mm. and sticking to that but could you not create your own brief like, I'd just in your own mind, just be like, hey, Vince, what, what are you interested in? And like, personally think about, this is really interesting, or I'm particularly interested in, you know, is it a medium that you like? Is it a concept? Is it a, a form? And, and dive into that area so it's not so overwhelming of being, oh, my gosh, I can do anything with anything. Well, yeah, that's a really good advice. But I, I kind of do that, and then I see, oh, fuck, someone else has just done that. So you're that. distracted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, procrastination is also yeah. linked Don't to Don't look being, at what other people are doing. Yeah. Just, like, go, you know, spend some time diving into it. It seems um, like everything's been done. Well, a lot of things have been done, but uh, not everything. Okay, all right. Not everything. Uh, how do you know when something's done or not? Uh, someone comes and sues you. Yeah, because it's out there. You can find it now. It's something called the internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, again. Um, so have you felt like you've designed your life? I love this question. Um, okay, 100%. Uh, wow. I have to say, when um, when your book came out, I went out and bought it and read really? it cover to cover. Wow. And was like, that this, took this, half an hour. This guy, <laughs> this guy was like, <laughs> he got in my mind. I never used, I, I used a slightly different term. I was like, curate your life instead of design your life. Ooh, that's um, nice. Just because I guess that's the art terminology. And that's I the was, next book. Yeah, I, um, I always love the idea of, of being really conscious about what you want in and what you don't want in your life yeah. and going after that. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's not some, you know, some prickly bits in life because that's what will happen and that's good stuff as well to grow from. But um, I'm a very visual person and I love, um, I love beauty in, in general, um, not necessarily perfection and beauty because things can be a mm. bit off, but yeah. 
I love the way I, lo- I live visually. So for me, cur- uh, designing your life is, is the chance to create exactly the environment that you want. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is back to being an introvert. You know, create your perfect environment and then invite into that only really what you want yeah. to have invited in and there. And who? Yeah, exactly. And, your own little party. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. That ha- I mean, I guess being... I guess being sensitive to your environment makes you better at appreciating art and creativity and expression and knowing when and what you want in your in your life. Because your environment, your home, etc., it's so important for your well-being. It's not about money. It's actually about curating your life and bringing into it what works for you. Yeah. And that could be nothing. That could yeah. be like some people I know have hoarders that have the whole house is just filled to the brim mm. uh, with stuff. Other people are living in a, sleeping on a mattress, you know, yeah. like John Parson, for example. Yeah. Like minimalist. Um, two extreme situations, but they both feel incredibly happy with how they how they live. For some people, it would create them like walking into a minimalist environment. It could be a painful and mm. scary experience and vice versa. Mm. Um, I guess it's like having that feeling. But I guess it's what I kind of talked about with interior designers and stuff. It's like, how how the general public how many people are aware mm. of the effect of what's around them or who they're with or you know do you know what I mean like it's, mm. it's I think increasing numbers but yeah I absolutely you know, I, some people just aren't built that way I, you know there's people who don't really uh, they don't focus on what's around around them visually mm. um, whereas I'm I'm with you I'm, I'm totally on the other end I. Um, am very, very um, sensitive to, conscious of and impacted by my environment at all times. So, you know, I think um, curating that, designing what's around you is, um, is everything. It's your cocoon to yeah. live within. So, Totally, totally agree. Um, how, do, how do people get hold of you? Uh, you can find me on our website, so the Articulate website, or I've got a website as well, just kimelfenstone.com. Um, my mobile number's on there. Give me okay. a call. All right. Any particular projects you're looking out for or a dream project you'd like to do? Uh, I'm doing a lot more art consulting at the moment, which is helping um, corporations and individuals build art collections. Uh, mm. So that's something that's really close to my heart and really is comes back to that idea of curating your own life and your yeah. space. Um, so really interested in work in that space. Um, Kim, it's been really great to catch up with you today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Vince. I've really loved the conversation. Cool. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Your Life with Articulate founder Kim Elphiston Rundle. Tune in to the next episode where I catch up with my long-term business partner, Ant Donovan. He's a group creative director of Frost Collective. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.